You're listening to The Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwarzman, co-host of this show, along with Akram's Razor. On The Razor's Edge, we take investing ideas that Akram has been studying as part of his trading or his investing service, also called The Razor's Edge, which builds on his two decades plus as a prop trader and investment researcher. We break down the ideas, the research that goes into them, and what might go right or wrong in the future. We also speak with industry executives and other investors and experts to better understand the opportunities and trends in a given space. And I bring a generalist take based on a decade of investing and reviewing thousands of investing ideas and seeing how they played out during my time at Seeking Alpha. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. You can also check out Akram's work on The Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha's Marketplace by searching for The Razor's Edge. If you have a chance to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or to share this with a friend, we really appreciate it. You can also reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Occam's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me respectively or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment or trading advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to a given episode. Today's episode continues our conversation with Captain Twilio. Our guest, a financial professional and a friend of Akram's, invests personally in a very concentrated fashion. Last time, we spoke about his previous position, Netflix. This time, we cover his current position, and in both cases, that's single position, Twilio. Akram and he talk about why he's so confident in the stock, the risks of such concentration, and how to think about SaaS companies, or really any sort of company in the current market. I listened for most of the conversation, and I can say that I think there will be a lot you'll enjoy listening to as well. Before we get started, a couple quick notes. First, a few listeners had an issue with last week's audio. If you had a problem with that audio, please try to download the file again. I mistakenly uploaded a file with a few tracks muted and didn't fix it until mid-morning, so some of you may have a lot of silence on your version. Sorry for the mistake. If you're still having trouble, you can also email me at daniel at shortmanstudios.com or ping me on Twitter at at danielshortman, and I can help you sort it out. Related to that, since we got to hear from a few of our listeners, if you ever have feedback for us, hit us at those same addresses or at Akram's Razor on Twitter. We love to hear from you about things you like, things you don't, things you'd like to hear going forward, or anything else related to the podcast. It helps us grow and improve. A last thing. As you may have noticed, we're publishing under a new author label, Shortman Studios. It's a podcast studio I founded both to publish original podcasts like The Razor's Edge and to edit or produce other people's podcasts. I'm saying that because we're launching our second original podcast and the first one since the company's founding next week. It's called A Positive Jam, and I co-host it with my friend and former Seeking Alpha colleague, Mike Taylor. It's not about investing, it's a music podcast. We take a great music album and we break it down song by song, with each episode covering a new track on the album. We're starting with the indie rock legends The Hold Steady and their debut album, Almost Killed Me. I'd love it if you could give it a listen, and if you're into music or have any friends who are curious about how great music works, please check it out or share it around. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. It's called A Positive Jam, 
The logo is a big speaker with those words. We have a couple of preview episodes out already. Another preview episode comes out tomorrow, and then the first full episode comes out next Wednesday, August 5th. Okay, disclosures for this episode. I'm Wongdell, Google, AT&T, PagerDuty, and while I don't think it comes up, it's a SaaS company, so I'll disclose it, Dropbox. Akram is along Twitter, Slack, Square, and PagerDuty. And of course, Captain Twilio is along Twilio. We're jumping right into where our Netflix conversation ended and our Twilio conversation picks up. So here goes. All right, so we move on to, uh, since, since you're on here and your, your nickname is Captain Twilio, you want to walk us through your, uh, what, what started your adventure into the world of your Jeff Lawson? From, you went from Reed Hastings to Jeff Lawson. Yeah, so um, I remember suddenly starting to get to, you know, use Uber, use all these apps, and then and had a first kind of call with an Uber driver where they didn't see my number, I didn't see theirs. And then it was followed up very quickly by like open table sending me a text. And I was just like, how is all this happening? And I started doing research. I found there's this guy, Byron Dieter, who works at Bessemer, and he, he kind of like sees the future because of his perch and noticed that you know they had invested in in this company Twilio and uh, among other a bunch of other stuff and then just started doing research on the space and how large the market was and how just like you use DVD by mail to build a streaming service well if you could connect all the world's you know SMS providers and productize or virtualize the process by which you connect with your customer um, so that you can infinitely scale. I mean, Twilio is the reason Uber became as large as it as it was. They are they enabled it just like AWS enables growth quickly and and and, and infinite scale quickly. Twilio is what was doing that for communications, and Uber is just like a communications app, basically in my in my, in my view. And so if if some if there were but I mean, can I can I come back at you? Oh, here we yeah, go. yeah. This. And tell you that it's an aggregator of of telcos with developer targeted easy API. Yeah. Because we will go back to I mean uh, you and I started with this when when Twilio IPO. I actually had full disclosure shorted Twilio on the assumption that Uber would dump them, and I was for a brief time period really enjoy, you know, enjoying it against Captain Twilio here. I had the good sense to close that, and uh, I made money on that trade. But I mean the argument was that look. You've gone out and you've aggregated the, the telcos, and yes, for Twilio, for Uber and WhatsApp, why build it? These guys are doing it, and they're earning that little spread over the cost they pay for it, and they've done a good job from a marketing standpoint of providing the developer docs and get like not only a marketing standpoint, actually targeting the developers to adopt the product. Yeah. And get in there, essentially get, dig deep inside, which has become a very commonplace thing in SaaS in general. When we get started talking about SaaS, but yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, and and, and he did that before it was as Akram alluded to, before it was cool, before that was a thing. Like, what you're going to sell to developers, but developers don't control the purse. You got to sell to a CTO. You got to do an implementation. You got to do all this shit. And he kind of removed all that friction and said, "No, I'm going to make it really cheap. It's going to be usage based." I'm going to build the developer love from the ground up and it'll be a grassroots thing. And, but, but the important part of it is 
I'm going to use this to create as like the initial mode to create specialized apps. So I'm going to give something that's low margin to my customers and then I'm going to let them build using these Lego blocks. And I'm going to see who's building what, what's most useful because I have all that data. And then I'm going to take the best practices from what everyone's doing and build my own version of that. And that'll be SaaS. And that'll be how I make a 80 plus percent gross margin. Because right now that's, that's not the case. So the thesis was, you know, we're going to do all this. And as Akram said, obviously they got dumped by Uber at one point, partially, they never actually fully moved off, but, 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 but in, a, in a big way. And, you know, part of that was trying to create, get closer to profitability and they were paying Twilio, I don't know, upwards of 50, 60 million bucks. And so it's, it's, it's a, it was a big amount of money. But then they realized it was like super hard. Just like it's really hard to replace Google Maps, it's really hard to replace this. And it's distracting. It's not worth it because part of the magic of all these apps is the kind of seamless communication that just works. We used to fly to Dubai where me and Akram actually met. And you know, the same app would just work there, worked here, didn't ask any questions or any, you know, didn't have any patches and just worked. So that was like, it got me hooked. There's a $70 billion market. These guys are doing $300 million of revenue. This is going to be massive. Jeff Lawson is someone who's been around, you know, he was at AWS early on. Before that, he was at StubHub as like their first CTO. Then he owned a skate shop for a while before Twilio and was like an actual retailer. Like a, a, a skate shop? Yeah, he had a skate shop. Like he was a retailer selling the skate shop. And part of the kind of origin story for Twilio was, you know, he wanted to come up with a way to connect with the customers to tell them about new promotions and all this new stuff and, and other than email, because the kids that were coming in, it's like, that's like not really a way to target them. And they kind of started looking to, well, why is it so hard for you to communicate with your customers if you're not a huge, huge company? And that was kind of part of the, the reason they decided to, to turn telephony into, into an API. He's a, he's a leader who's been around greatness and been around failure. This is a guy who's like a, you know, Sarand, like a, like a Reed Hastings or Sarandos that you can, you can kind of back because I think part of the thing with leaders is by the time they see success, they have to feel like it's almost owed to them to actually take it uh, and, and figure out what to do with it. And I, and I just like thought that we were lucky that this thing was IPOing at a time when multiples weren't crazy and you could get in at, you know, what it is this? the worst IPO dollars. market ever. Actually, at the time, there was only two successful IPOs. That was what, what sucked me into it. What was it? It was Twilio and Amberella. Mm-hmm. And like nobody, because we were on the back of that uh, 2016 crash. Yeah, SaaS crash. Uh, yeah, SaaS crash number two it was at the time. We had number three last year. Yeah, I mean, I still remember it was it was it was Dave McClure was in the the hookah place, and you know, mutual friend of ours, and that we had was 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 sitting with him, and I kind of sat at the table, and I mean, I, I don't know him, I'd never met him at the time, and he was he was talking about his Twilio position, and I was short Twilio, and he was you know he was bitching, and then I, afterwards came out and, and you'd come in, and uh, we sat down, and I was like, ah. Oh, you know, we started talking about it and you're like, ah, oh, I'm buying more, getting in this thing, knee deep in this thing. I like what's happening here. The Uber story is not a problem. No, it's a gift. I thought it was going to be really hard for them to try to do it. And, and sometimes these points kind of prove how mission critical something is and how hard it is to actually replicate. 
And, and it's rare that you get that and you have to make a bet. Like there isn't a hundred percent certainty in anything, but you have to make a bet just like you got a gift with Netflix when they spot tried to spin off streaming or, or, or separate it from DVD. Like this was that moment for Twilio. But, but quickly after that, the thesis was there's this one, they hired George Hugh who from uh, Salesforce, which was sort of a realization that the developer led effort is good. But if you're going to go to like Morgan Stanley and places that don't have a developer led culture, like outside of Silicon Valley, after you get Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and all of those, you're going to need to eventually talk to people that speak a different language. And that's where he really shines. I mean, he just took the Salesforce Benioff playbook, which he had learned, he learned at the foot of the master. I think he started as like an intern there. And I knew that by him coming over, there was going to be able, they were going to be able to pivot to larger kind of Anheuser-Busch type boring companies that don't have a developer instinct. They don't even know what that means. But you need those to become a really big company. And those companies need to communicate with your customers as well. So that was really exciting for me. And, and I don't think the market really appreciated it. And then Flex. Flex was a huge point, which is kind of, one of their first productizing the platform. I think ING Bank had built, ING Bank and Shopify had used Twilio to come up with a way to communicate directly like with their, you know, their call centers to, to handle their, their customers. And I just thought these guys said they were gonna do this in 2017. They said they were gonna use the learnings to build apps on top of their own network or platform. And Flex was the first one. They came out of the gate, had some momentum, everyone got super excited. And then they realized like it's really hard to sell to this space. It's a much longer sales cycle. It's the George Who playbook, not the developer-led playbook. But you know, they started getting some traction and then COVID obviously it massively accelerated it. And the market is back in is that the, is that the first uh, time accelerated was used today? Probably, yes. We made we made it pretty far without dropping the accelerated. All right. Yeah. Sorry. No. So then, then uh, that's it. And now the market's excited and the market doesn't, they're still kind of not understanding how IOT and 5G, which eventually will be the next, will be a big piece of 2020. Uh, I think the market is not having a problem understand. They love Twilio. So <laughs> no, I mean, I still think it's not even, I understand it's not going up fast enough for you. Like it's, you know, a double Tesla pace of 10% a day. If somebody's giving away $1,000 for $200, I just don't understand why the market lets that happen for so long. But I guess, you know, folks have to catch up. So that's fine. No, I mean, that is, good. that is a good point. And we've discussed this several times. At the end of the day, though, is there an argument that like all these new tools make things a little bit more complicated? Now, let's talk about Zoom phone, for example. You actually are familiar, pretty familiar with this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. go ahead. They take costs out. Uh, it, 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 you, you, you know, you're creating hundred billion dollar companies or whatever now, 30, 40, 50, hundred billion dollar companies, but because they're what they're replacing to their customers is, is they're still saving money. Just like your, you know, once upon a time in, in SaaS piece, these kind of penny pinching moments create opportunities for new players, but it's at the expense of, of older ways of doing things. I mean, if you get flexed, what are you giving up? Well, there was a, a room that had a bunch of hot servers in it and wires and people and rent. And, and, and as long as the new thing costs less 
and delivers even a slightly worse experience. In this case, it's a better one that's trackable and all that. But even if it's a slightly worse experience, that's fine because you're saving so much money. So, you know, Blockbuster was down the corner and I can go get a movie and be home in half an hour. You know, Netflix, I had to think ahead of time and wait for a queue and whatever. But it was so much more convenient that I can change my habit for it. And it was cheaper if I really, you know, didn't return role models for three years. It would have been cheaper. I mean, yeah, okay, that does make sense. You know, actually, it's funny. We were having this debate about valuations and SaaS and disruption and whatever. And I was talking with a friend about Uber Postmates. And I was like, hey, you know, they can make this work and consolidation. And, and yeah, the unit economics for food delivery will work. And, you know, he lives in Manhattan. He's in finance like you. And he's like, does it really work? Has anything really, I'm paying $20 for tacos. And I used to go collect all the menus around me. I put them in a basket and I'd order delivery. And it was just incumbent in Manhattan that like these people were delivering. You didn't pay a surcharge. Now I have an app that aggregates the places right around me, which I'd already done. And the price of the food has gone up and there's a surcharge and I'm essentially being taxed and I'm getting a worse experience for it. So there is a way of looking at some of this stuff and saying, well, well, well what's happened? Cheap capital has essentially just screwed things up. No, that's true. I think on the consumer end, you're, you're kind of death by a thousand cuts. You're not going to, like if some seamless is more convenient, then it's fine. You'll pay $3 of a premium just because you're not really sure if it is. You don't want to put in the work. It's not worth $3. But at a corp, like enterprise level, like those decisions can be for a couple of months, but they're not going to last for a long time. Okay, but and here we are talking about Twilio, which essentially on the back of ride sharing and food delivery, are two huge drivers for that business model. True. Right? But, the, the authentication. Yeah, go. Sorry. No, no, no. That, 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 that's true. And, and, but, but again, I, the consumer customer isn't going to make that distinction because they're okay being bled two, three dollars at a time. I think if the healthcare professionals that are using Twilio to connect with their patients during COVID, once they realize, well, maybe now I don't need this big office. Maybe I have a shared office, we work type situation where if somebody needs to come in, I can do it, but I don't. And, and doctors in New York already do that. Our, my dentist is in a, a shared space with a bunch of other oral surgeon, dentist, practitioners, whatever. And she only uses it when she has clients and otherwise she, she's not there. And she shares all the equipment and all that. There's no reason there should be a doctor's office in every city and multiple ones if you can just serve your customers. And so... If they can start to save on rent and, 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 and get paid more quickly because it's a digital experience and all that, they're going to they're gonna do that. And so I think as long as you can deliver a value prop to someone who's paying attention to a value prop, then you'll be able to demonstrate value for long term and capture a disproportionate amount of that value. I think the second that's not the case, you're right. It's not going to work. If QVC switching to Flex... If they realize that, like, if we have all of our folks sitting home, they're just not effective at selling or as effective as they were when there was a kind of a boss walking the floor and making sure people weren't watching Netflix, then that's going to stop. And so that's the, you know, the thesis is it's going to save money for people. And that's why companies that are providing software to facilitate it will, will keep money, will keep a, a piece of that for the long term. If it's not the case, it's going to go away. 
But I mean, aren't there so many, like, I mean, I don't want to go back to once upon a time in tech and, and these valuations today like, and, and how things have played out, if you think about it. But G Suite's out there talking about integrating chat and everything else. We know what's going on with Microsoft Teams. I, obviously, I, I'm, I'm a huge Slack bull. We, we, you and I have discussed this. And you look at what's going on in, in terms of it. CR, Salesforce is coming out. They want to defend their turf as far as the CRM value prop if you know sales reps are spending most of their time in these other productivity tools. And here we are, we're talking about Twilio and like, look, I mean, Twilio did just go through a horrible period. I mean, you were not a happy camper for, for six months. There's a lot of other say, it was in the penalty box for like, what was it? Let's call it six, from like the end of last summer till this last earnings. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through this the dynamic where it was like, look, this COVID metered element, by the way, like what, how, what percentage is recurring? We've seen it with Fastly. There's a lot of excitement about, oh, this took off. I mean, they did talk about flex a lot on the call, but we still are going back to an argument of Twilio is competing against this sub-segment of contact center as a service. And these are people who, who are building these solutions essentially on top of Twilio. And Twilio is coming and saying to the customer, I want subscription revenue. Like when we talk about how things are priced in SaaS, there's a wide range. And the guys who get the price right at the start and extract that margin typically are rewarded. But at, at certain times, you also do look at them and you're like, how is this company getting this per seat pricing when I can get G Suite and all this that bundles in it? Or Slack, for example. I mean, what, you could maybe argue that one of the biggest issues with Slack is it's such good value. You talk to many people in the space, in tech, and they're like, uh, compared to my DocuSign and Adobe and, and Office and everything else that I pay for, the best value I have is Slack. It's 650 per seat. And if they're inactive, I pay nothing. And lo and behold, we're 80% of our time in it. And you're like, all right, I mean, maybe they price too low. And, like For me, I look at that, I'm like, all right, longer term, there's pricing strength. Now, if you want to flip it around and, and, and look at a SaaS name that gets a lot of criticism about pricing, it's PagerDuty. Because there's an argument that they're actually priced high and for at least at, on the SMB end, there is potential pricing erosion where people look at it like, this is just too expensive. I, I can, I, I'd rather have X, Y, and Z, Datadog. I mean, New Relic Datadog is a perfect example. The most common exchange that you get there is, I have no problem with New Relic. Uh, I switched to Datadog because it's just cheaper and a much better value. Right now, Fastly, for example, on, on, on the way they price, like people have gotten super excited about that, but it's like, look, is that pricing sustainable? It's a metered usage. I went through this with Commvault but on, on the storage end back in 2014. So when you look at the dynamics in this space, particularly with Twilio, do you think the market is big enough? Does Twilio eat this market up or is the market so big that these contact center as a service players who are Twilio customers and trying to own the customer relationship and, and sell it as out of the box. I mean, Flex is essentially saying, hey, we're plug and play. We're fully customizable yeah. for you. Yeah. You don't need it. You don't need Talk Desk or what's the other one? Five, uh, five nines. Five nine. Yeah, we got, you got Ring Central essentially in the space. Like, we got a bunch of different stuff, but you can call that UCAS or whatever. So, how do you, you know, as the greatest bull in the history of bulls on this stock, look at this and say, all right, I mean, COVID pulled this forward. We don't have to worry about anything. All these problems are gone and, and we're good. 
Twilio still is in that like 60%, whatever you want to call it, gross margin range. It's got to climb that. I mean, and SendGrid, we just did a whole thing about, the, the, you know, debating whether or not email marketing and what's the future there and death of email, which just had superhuman. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think you have to, one, it is a massive market that they have a, a, a pinky toe in. And, and so there is a lot of room before they have to worry about that. But they should, they are worrying about that. I, I have to imagine that they don't expect the incumbents to sit back. They don't expect the folks that have kind of built software on top of Twilio to sit back. Right now, they're kind of they're saying, you know, we're going after a certain segment of the market um, that you guys aren't going necessarily going after. But yeah, eventually, they're, and I, I'm sure they would have guessed that they, they made that bet that they would win over time. But for now, I think. Everyone, there's enough for everyone to eat, and their goal, their bet is by the time we have to start fighting, we're going to have such a big kind of toehold that between the connectivity to the rest of the relationship with the customer that we're going to have, you know, throughout the stack of our competitors, it'll just make sense to have us be like when you think communication, you think Twilio, like you, you just like. 20 years ago or 10 years ago, you thought Verizon is how I talk to my customers and AT&T. It's just going to be that. That's kind of the, I'm sure part of a, a, a Zoom thesis is if Zoom's replacing video first, but then, you know, replaces Avaya and all these other incumbents because you don't need a physical handset. I'll tell you that in our offices, we're replacing our legacy phones with Zoom phone. We have already. It's being deployed now. And we're paying 10% of what we were paying before. And it's a better service. And we travel and we, were, we would have issues when we were in Dubai. What happens with my, you know, I need an assistant for my New York number and all that. And it's just like those things all went away. And we paid less. And we would have paid twice as much and we'd still be happy. And so I can imagine that Verizon kind of senses that and they bought blue jeans or whatever. But it's, by the time Verizon wakes up, there's almost no way for them to, to fight it now unless they cut their own pricing or, or buy it rather for the, on the handset side. And same thing with Flex. I, I think the only the, – the, there's no reason for any of the incumbents to pay attention to Flex right now. And by the time they do, it'll probably be too late. I think on the team point, I agree with you. And pager duty, I think, demands a premium because you're paying insurance on – your shit working right. And if and, and you made the point to me before, like if you're William Sonoma online and your site is down for minutes, that's ten, you know, millions of dollars. And so you can't pay pager duty enough to ensure that that doesn't happen. And so there are folks that command a premium and they deserve it. There are folks like team that maybe are underpriced, but I guess they go against Microsoft Teams, which is free and it's an inferior product, but it's still, it's a free one. And then there's kind of Twilio, which is somewhere in the middle, and they'll figure it out over time. But I just think it's a large enough market that I'm very comfortable that, you know, at $2 billion of revenue in a 70 core market, 100 billion plus, with all the potential verticals that they'll go into over time, there's a lot of room to run. Daniel? Sounds pretty cogent to me. I mean, I still... I think what's stepping back, tying these together, the couple interesting things are we didn't talk about valuation very much at all. And I think it's interesting how much 
Netflix, I think, gets a lot of barbs for it's super expensive, whatever. There's a possibility of abstracting the valuation issue and just respecting the company. And then you just have to figure out where does that overlap? Where does the strong management overcome whatever valuation concerns? And the same goes for something like a Twilio. But then also the that issue of focus and of being able to save money over a legacy competitor or provide a service over a legacy competitor and what you were just describing, Captain, with Verizon and just the by the time Verizon wakes up. But if Twilio is super focused and if they get their hooks in, that's been such an interesting thing to watch with Zoom. And I think it's still too early to figure out what's going to happen there. But the big players are all sort of crowding around and trying to keep Zoom out. But who knows if they'll be able to. I can't actually. I mean, Zoom is such a perfect storm, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, they were, they were a better product. I mean, right? I mean, we talked about this at the end of last year. I, I, I may be one of the only people who, who got on Zoom calls in the last 12 months. There's no way you can find anybody in the system. I mean, buying Zoom calls in November, having been Mr. Bearish from SaaS and being like, okay, SaaS is corrected enough. I'm going to trade up and I'm going to buy Zoom. Uh, when they reported and, and they gave their guidance, they didn't, they didn't give the guidance for next year, but a bunch of analysts came out and like, it's richly valued. This was at 66 and it was expensive. You're talking 18 times, but I was like, I will buy the one that I am the most certain on has no, no competitive issues. And fast forward to today, obviously post COVID, but like everyone's just like, it's game over, Zoom one. It's that much, like I literally removed WebEx, by the way, from my computer after like four different like experiences where I, I like, I like it's, it's like a virus on startup. I got so irritated with it eventually that I was like, I need to get this thing off the computer. Now we're sitting here using Zoom and Zoom as good as it is and as reliable as it's proven, it, it, you know, it is part of that, it just works type of mentality. But like, it's not sticky. It's from, from my standpoint, as far as like, like, I don't see how I'm going to, how it ties into my life more. And by the way, you saw the, they're selling a physical device. Yeah. It's like a startup, like Sidekick. They're trying to do a Sidekick and like, there's got the Sidekick, you got this tandem where like, I just stick something, a tablet next to me and I'm creating a virtual office. We're not actively, but we're, we're like hanging out. It's like watching you. Yep. It's like, it's portal. It's portal. It's yeah. It's like, it's like portal, which, which my brother made me get for, uh, he's using it with his kid a lot. Talk to his, his in-laws and the technology is there and you're seeing these things now where it's like zoom is video conferencing, but let's create the virtual, let's create a, a tool that is essentially the virtual office, the remote office. Take it to the next level. It's meshing the hardware with the software. Yeah, no, uh, it's a smart move and they're not gonna have the great margins, but it'll make it even stickier now that you've invested in a piece of software that only works with Zoom. Yeah, but how does something like that onboard at the level that they, they need to with Zoom where it's at? I mean, Zoom's just gonna be able to snap these things up when they want to at the market cap they have. When you look at that today, and you think about TAMs and markets, and you look at a Cisco at, at what? What's Cisco now? Like 180 billion with 40 billion in cash. Cisco's lost essentially 60% of its its value since 2000, and it's been a well-run ship. And when you think about communications and networking, and you look you're looking today, I I do think there's no threat to Zoom, but I also look at it and I'm like, well, I mean, how long is it going to take for it to make the kind of money Cisco made? Because like you said. What are you paying? You're paying one-tenth what you're paying Avaya. 
And when anyone sizes up the TAMs of these companies, what do they use? Yeah, buy it. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. They use the existing TAM. Yeah. But, but also there's pricing power too. I mean, yeah. Of course, over time. But I'm saying there's a replacement cost. This goes back to the whole Viva element when they were displacing Siebel Life Sciences or Segedyne. And you get into this like, wait, you're, like, you're, you're onboarding pharma at 50% less, but you're arguing that you're going to be getting to an ASP that's three times what pharma is paying Siebel today for on-prem. How do you reconcile these? And people do spend a lot of time getting caught up in TAM. You can sit here and look at these things. Like, you can be trading at multiples and multiples of your TAM. I don't know why people think that like the TAM is the be-all, end-all. I think if, if there's been one lesson in software, at least it, the way we've seen things now, you look at Aviv or you look at some of these names like a PagerDuty. I mean, PagerDuty throws in this number of like a potential $100 billion addressable market. I'm like, come on. I mean, like, sorry, that's not what I'm thinking of. I think you guys can get two and a half billion and 85% gross margin. I'm a super happy guy over five years. Yeah. Like you're trading right now at a $1.6 billion enterprise value. Vive took, took the entire pharma market, which is, it turns out is worth about 380 million to 400 million in subscription revenue. They've owned it. And then they've, t- they've, they've taken the ECM market from Documentum and they continue to parlay. But if I was to tam that whole thing up today, like they're, they're fighting with metadata and EDC, they're, they're doing stuff with against IQVIA. Yeah, or maybe it's two, $3 billion in potential revenue in that vertical, completely focused with other stuff regulated. And you've, you've got a stock trading at a 40 billion EV. That's 10 times its actual, like what I view as the revenue opportunity on a per annum basis in that, in that sector for the products that they have if they had 100% market share. When you think about that and you think about TAMs, having the, the biggest TAM is not necessarily a valuation uh, be all end all. No, it's just a sort of a guidepost, right? If you look at a TAM and you say, let's take Twilio's for example, it's a hundred billion dollar TAM. Can they get from two now or around two to ten billion of revenue in a reasonable amount of time? Yes, but if that number, if you thought the TAM was twenty and you needed to get to ten, so I'll, I'll finish the math. So if you get to ten billion of revenue and you assume they have a three billion dollar kind of EBITDA, 30 percent margin. EBITDA margin, does that translate into a 75 to 75 plus billion dollar market cap company? Yes, that's not irrational at all. It's not, it, it, it's, you, you, can, you can buy that. If I did the, the work and I realize the TAM is 20, so I need to get to 10 and all that to be able to triple my money from here or quadruple my money, I have to get 50% of the market uh, unless they go find other worlds to conquer, which Vive did. That's going to be a much tougher story. And I, and I think that's why I remember Akram in your Vive piece from years ago. That was part of the argument is they, they screwed up their TAM math. It's a lot smaller. And in order to grow into this valuation, they're going to need to go find other places. And, and look, they actually went out and did that. But you sort of pointed out that that would be necessary. I mean, uh, uh, literally at the bottom of the stock price, when what happened with Documentum happened uh, and the Dell EMC deal occurred and you could see them gaining traction in ECM, that was a cause to flip it and go long. And I, and I articulated that. And I mean, I think that, I, I mean, if you go back, that management team could not go anywhere without being asked about their TAM at the time. And there's a reason for that because it was so glaringly inaccurate it's, it's to this day. I mean, if you talk to people in the pharmaceutical industry or if you talk to people on the other side, that was the case. But I mean, 
you know, forget about that. My question to you is looking at the SaaS sector today and being so singularly focused. Like, do you not ever think, hey, I could buy some Fastly or I'm going to go look at Alteryx or we didn't really get much into your background, but like, you know, you obviously have done a lot on, uh, on media banking and you, you, you've been an investor directly in, this, in, in the software as a service space. So when you look at these companies, what is it where, where you feel like you, you, you find your edge that has had you so singularly focused on Twilio? Like I was giving you a hard time if you remember a year, a year ago, I'm like, just buy Atlassian, bro, like $90 when this whole, like I'd spent a lot of time on relative valuation, obviously, when I look at these names. I'm like, this thing is really expensive when I look at it within, the, like Encino right now. This thing opened, and we're not going to get into the whole uh, mispricing of IPOs debate, which I've been getting on on Twitter. But this thing opened at $10 billion. You've got you know, a legendary software investor in Bill Gurley, who's very outspoken. And honestly, I have immense respect for the guy. And he's an extremely amazing thinker. And who am I to remotely criticize that person? But I, I sit there and I, and I see him talking about the IPO and, and $400 million being left on the table. I'm like, dude, Encino priced at 31 times sales and it's a sales force var it's actually literally the first one they inve invested in right after vive they invested in january of 2014 after vive ipo'd in the stratosphere but like do you not look at some of it and be like this is just crazy like this thing on day one yeah uh look i think there there's got to be a bet on the size of the market being a, a lot and the, the idea though that it's leaving money on the table would be more true if when you IPO, you sold 100% of your company. This isn't a SPAC that they IPO'd in. It's a sliver deal. It'll trade up and then there'll be a lockup expiration and then insiders will sell and then the stock will come down and then there'll be in the valley of despair and then it'll ride itself up, you know, ride up again as if it's able to prove its thesis in the long term. But right that's my point. That's part, of, that's part of the market. I mean, this thing has $100 million in subscription revenue in the year ended January 2020, okay? It's printing a $10 billion essentially EV uh, on day one, right? And you've got a pager duty, which actually Benchmark is an investor in. And it's trading at a $1.6 billion EV. And it's got what? A diversified industry exposure. It's got its own platform. It's got 88% gross margins. And uh, if it IPO'd at a time when it wasn't the shiny new thing and went down, people look at the chart, they see it in the, in the rear view mirror, and they're like, this is a dog. It's underperformed. And they all race into this new shiny new thing on day one without doing much work. I mean, I, if you go on Wall Street Bets, there's guys comparing it to Square and, and, uh, and PayPal. And I'm like, no, this is not. This is a workflow automation for onboarding at a community bank, your deposit account opening or a loan origination. And in fact, this is a market that, that that's shrinking, by the way. So I'm going to make your employee more efficient by using the Encino OS. Fantastic. At the same time, the argument is that like, well, I mean, aren't we moving to a, uh, an environment where an algorithm originates the loan and that's what we're doing? Am I happy about my community bank guys uh, getting more efficient at the process and, and being able to cl close more loans? Well, yeah, maybe if I can reduce my costs and fire some of them. So it's, it's, it's essentially, it's this very similar play, by the way, to what was going on in pharma post-patent clip with Viva. You've got an industry, finance, particularly banking, and on the small level, 
under duress, and you've got like essentially an IT upgrade. And it's funny that this is uh, this is IPOing because when you think about SBA and PPP, it's almost perfect timing because you've had this huge demand for loans in this crisis that is COVID, and this is a solution that is almost matched perfect for it. But when you think about it that way, it's like, all right, I mean, like, why aren't we using this for IT? But at the same time, it's like, oh, you're built on Salesforce. You have no protection. Salesforce can compete with you. Salesforce just bought Velocity. So how are you getting what I would have thought would be a snowflake multiple? Yeah, I don't want to talk about any like that company specifically. I just think to your original question of like, why not spread it around? I just know for myself, and I started with this, I can get very deep into a company, a sector, a space, and the amount of work that's required. I mean, you've done this for companies before. You know, it takes a lot of effort, and I just don't think that I can do that for multiple businesses. And I don't want to be right on the, you know, you can be right and just catch, catch some momentum. And just like if you're in software, you've made money in the last, you know, six months or three months. That's not... What do you mean? The last 20 years? <laughs> well, that, that's fine. But I'm saying you've really made money since March and it, you just had to throw a dart. But, but over 10 years, you're not, that's not going to be the case. And there are things that investors miss because they don't understand. Pager duty is, is one of them. There's no, there's no reason why it, has, it trades at the multiple it does when other things trade at 2x the multiple, two and a half times the multiple, other than... There's a lack of understanding of how large the market is, a lack of faith in the leadership. And also sometimes leadership and companies aren't great storytellers. And that's one of the things like Reed Hastings is an amazing storyteller. You sit there, you want to give him your money. You're lucky to have him working your money for you. Jeff Lawson, same thing. Not all CEOs have that. And so sometimes it takes the market longer to recognize that they were off about the valuation. And sometimes there are CEOs that are too promotional and they can sell anything even before it's built, right? We know that with certain you know, car companies. Things catch up over time, but there's a paradigm. So that's why when you're investing in a company, there's the kind of underlying, what are the margins long-term? How big is the market? But a really important piece is the management team because that's who's going to make it, you know, who's going to tell that story in the interim period and get smart people to come work there because it's not ever built by one person. And so I think when I find that or think I found it, I don't want to give it up until I'm pretty sure that I find something that I'm willing to sell out of my Twilio for to move into or sell out of my Netflix for to move into. It's kind of a, a gut check. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I guess that, what, what, I mean, you know, obviously I, I can get way off topic. And my point with that question was, Personally, I think Encino is f- fantastic. I think uh, great te- technology workflow solution problem, right place, right time, et cetera, et cetera. My point is, there's we can say this about a lot of things in software. M- what I look at it, I say, is that if that trades at 10 billion on day one with 100 million in subscription revenue and some element of VAR, does that make you as an investor in a SaaS, and let's call it one of like, let's call it the most celebrated SaaSes, do you step back there and say, all right, if that can do that, this, there's some serious animal spirits here. Does that make you rethink your thesis around Twilio in general? Or does that, I'm not saying, you know, pivot to Atlassian or start looking at Fastly. Just like everything is too, too, too expensive. 
I'm not saying I'm, I'm just saying when you see that that yeah. day and one yeah. day, one yeah. shot. And when you see the debate that's occurring in the investment sphere being that, hey, the investors in this company got screwed versus, hey, it priced at 31 times sales. What people, you know, investing in software exiting are not happy with that on day one from a pricing standpoint. Yeah, no, I, I, yes, both of those things are true. Every, every day, one of the, my mentors says, you know, every day you don't sell, you're making the, the choice to buy again. And so, yes, you have to keep kind of testing and retesting your thesis. And when you see things trade at really high multiples, it forces you to re-examine because look, I'll tell you if I woke up and even Twilio was four, a 4X overnight, I would have to consider selling it because there's no way I could say that I can't do better with my money somewhere else if I already get all of the return I was expecting. And so, yes, uh, you have to look and say, is the market ahead of itself? But you have a more acute problem if you're a trader and you have a horizon that's shorter. If I'm looking at a, I want to own this for five or 10 years until I think there's a next opportunity that makes itself known. Then, then I'm less less worried about that. And that's what makes me, you know, I don't sleep as easily when Julio goes from 150 down to 70, of course, or from 70 back down to the 20s like it did in 17. But, you uh, you know, if you have a long-term outlook and you're not just fooling yourself and saying, oh, I'm a long-term investor now because the stock's down and I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, you do, you do look at these things and you say, is everyone high on their own, you know, drinking their own Kool-Aid and, and I should reassess. Yeah. I mean, look, this concept that a stock's future is written to me, this guy invested in this at this time and he's just, he saw the future. It is to me like increasingly over 20 years become more of like a load of bullshit. These businesses are run by people and I've seen it both uh, having been long and short, you know, almost every name we've discussed here, right? I was a huge Netflix bull. Then at one point, I was just like the structure of this industry. Like very little time, by the way, is spent when we talk about disruption, talking about everybody who failed. There's other companies in this mix. When we talk about, when we talk about an Apple, how many people failed? Nokia? Wasn't Nokia super celebrated? Wasn't Blackberry super celebrated? Yeah. yeah. So when you think about like, I mean, reading books about how great uh, Jim Ball Seal and what's his name? the co-CEOs, whatever. When, when you think about who failed there, and then like you, you look at software, Larry Ellison, back and forth with, with Mark Beanoff, you know, his protege, he goes and starts company, SaaS is bullshit. It's just a way, way of renaming something. The wheel spins. I mean, that was kind of part of the, the thesis in Once Upon a Time in Tech, right? You're like, we've seen like this before. Like, yes, there is innovation. There is disruption. There is, there is transition. We've seen it with Amazon. We've seen whatever. But these companies... Are, you, you can't look at it in, in a static dynamic, right? I mean, you can look at Aviva and say they adapted quickly and they went after a market and they nailed competitors. Like, I mean, Documentum was a beast, for example, in, in enterprise content management. I remember when I was doing the work and looking into that space, you know, you would talk to people and be like, this is, I looked at this, it's not going to work. And this is why. And I've been doing this, you know, my entire career. Now, if you look at that space, people who used to work at those companies, you know, work at Aviv or whoever today. It's just a cycle. It's been moving. And when you look at communications, 
we're sitting here talking about like who's being displayed. Like you're talking about a Cisco, you're talking about a Skype. We're recycling again with a Zoom and how these dynamics change. So very little is spent about if you if we were to go back and I got into this with someone recently, 20 years ago, you would just be like John Chambers, Tom Siebel. They can't do no wrong. You speak about Jeff Lawson and and, and people talk about Mark Beanoff and whatever, the way that people spoke about these guys 20 years ago. And are we going to be having this conversation in a decade? Is it going to be like, okay, yes, things could have never gotten more expensive than they did today. Because when we look at today's market and software and the acceleration of these trends, my question to you is, what, what, what percentage of, of your risk as a Twilio shareholder, and I think listeners in SaaS will probably be most interested in this, do you ascribe to macro dynamics now? Because I don't think you're remotely worried about execution risk right now from Twilio. And I don't think you're worried about the opportunity right now from Twilio. And I'm going to agree with you on both of those things. But if I was to ask you right now and say, well, why can't your company crush it for the next decade? And it's worth 50% less because the multiple right now is outrageous and it's going to slowly work its way into that. And where this cycle of super low interest rates is coming to a close as we all converge to it globally, the only thing that's going to uh, determine the outcome of your trade is macroeconomic variables. And you should be spending a little time on fundamentals. Like I think about today's market and people are like, hey, what, you know, what do you like? Let's, like, have you looked into this? Can we do a thesis on this? I think this is interesting. And I'm like, I'm so turned off by individually focusing on, on, an, on a stock and a narrative around it, even though I am in two in terms of Twitter and Slack and in PagerDuty. But I step back and I'm like, macro is all that matters here. Like I can wake up, you pull out the rug of, uh, from under me on liquidity and I change the prices by 40%. Yeah, I think that the, in, in, a, in a short period of time, anything can happen. So yes, if the rug were pulled and the, the market could easily be down, you know, a staggering amount, and, and that will hurt in the short term. But again, I go back to my long term. I think that this company, and I'm being specific, this company is, is one that is going to produce $10 billion of revenue and two and a half, three billion dollars of, 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 of cash flow. And, and, and is that, what, what is that worth in, in a normal market? And, you know, if I look at software businesses that are doing that, or tech businesses that are doing that, it's worth 25 times. Maybe at, on the very low end, it's worth 20 times. And 20 times is a 5% kind of asset yield. And in this environment, you you're know, saying 20 we, times, you're saying 20 times EBITDA. Yeah. So it's like, uh, eight, but like 20 times EBITDA, what, 15 years from now? Discounted no, back to today. What? No, when? I don't think When so. does it get to 10 billion? I think it's, I think, I think if they're, they go from two to, two to 10 in, you know, and I could, even if it's in, in seven years, in 10 years, let's say it's in 10 years. I don't think it'll take that long, but let's say it's in 10 years. If I could tell you that you have a $3 billion, 25 times, 75, $75 billion market cap business that's trading at 30 now, that's not a terrible return. That's going to beat the market. Why wouldn't I take that? I think they'll get there more quickly. And so the return will, and I think the market will give credit for that more quickly. And so I'll have to find the next thing to invest in at that point. But I just don't think I've gotten enough credit for that yet, or the market hasn't provided enough. And until the, I, we get to that point, I'm along for the ride. I also believe that, again, the, the people are what matter. And so the person who's gonna build the last $10 billion of value in Twilio 
market cap or enterprise value hasn't even been hired yet. And as long as I know that this guy is creating a culture that's going to get people to smart people to want to go work there, just like about 10 years ago, Zuckerberg was doing that. And 20 years ago, you know, Google was doing that. Google Maps was not on the, even on the, on the radar. And it's a, it's a massive business. And Instagram wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't even a twinkle in his eye. And when he, when he, you know, the size of it, maybe he knew it was going to be that big, but, he, but no one else surely did when, when he, he paid a ton of money for it, or, but ended up massively underpaying. So if it, the culture is, is actually really important, and it's something that I didn't appreciate uh, earlier on in my career and my investing career specifically. I just, I truly believe that if you have a good group, it attracts other smart people and they create value in the future. And, and so that's part of the bet. Well, what about all these guys are disappearing, essentially speaking? Like that, this, this is my point is that where Oracle and SAP in, in the eras of the out with the old, in with the new is, is what we're talking about. And, yeah, that's why I don't invest in an index fund because I don't have to worry about that. All I have to do is find something that I think has a long runway and it's, yes, it's definitely at the detriment, right? It's zero sum to some extent, unless you're Virgin Galactica and you're creating a new market, but it's, it's, it's taking away from someone else. And so if I buy some broad-based tech ETF and it's up a ton now because all multiples went up, yeah, the, uh, the multiples for the shittier players that are getting their lunch eaten, eaten should come down over time. And that's why I wouldn't do that. Now, I would tell my mom to do that because she's not going to sit there and pick a, you know, she's really smart, but she's a preschool teacher. She's not going to, she doesn't know what to do. And so maybe they take the Warren Buffett advice, but I don't subscribe to that because that, this is what I do. This is what I've chosen to do. You're talking about a company getting to 3 billion EBITDA and 100 billion. And I mean, like Oracle today is generating what, 12, 13 billion of free cash flow and trades at what, 170, 180 billion. You, you do look at these dynamics in, in the market and say, well, the market tends to really overpay when it's working for growth, right? And you went back and said in the really, really short term, like that was your initial, when you, w w for your response, that yes, there's potential risks and if you pull the liquidity rug, well, we've doubled the amount of money in existence, okay, as far as Fed printing on the balance sheet and call it 10 weeks. That's more than they did since the Fed was founded. and you're discounting that in the sense that, okay, well, all right, no big deal. Well, I mean, it, it's a once in a hundred year event in terms of, of, of how it's changed. And for, for a lot of people right now, when their stocks go up, I mean, you're actually probably from a Twilio standpoint and one of the best performers. I mean, there's slightly behind Zoom, which is like from the lows in March, but there's a ton of stuff where everyone's doubled or tripled. And like, if you, if you get on FinTwit, Everyone shares their portfolio in SaaS, and it's like, I own this, 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 and that. And you'll, you'll take the 20 names in software, and they'll categorize each one of them and their reasoning for being in each one of them because they're the so-and-so of this, the so-and-so of that. And I look at it and I say, well, I mean, again, probably if I was trying to run a portfolio in that sense, I'd be like, why don't I just do what the captain's doing and just pick one? Because they're all exposed to the same, let's call it risk pricing-wise. As far as what's going to exp explain my performance over the next three years, let's call it three to five years in these, in these companies. Is it really going to be for those right now trading anywhere between 30 and 70 times sales, their execution individually? Or is it going to be, let's call it 
a split 80-20 between how software companies are valued. There's going to be a piece of just how things are valued because, yeah, obviously cost of money is the kind of most important or expected return, which is directly related to that, is, the, is what drives multiple. How much do I pay for a dollar tomorrow? There's a two-sided bet. One, how, much, how many dollars will be produced tomorrow? How long will it take to produce them? And then how much of a return do I want to make on that? And all those variables go up and down. And yeah, you're saying the cost of money could increase overnight or, or over time, but, but relatively quickly. And that brings down the multiple. So yes, part of it will be multiples. Because if the day that Twilio shows up with its $3 billion of, of, of cash flow, multiples are 10 times. Well, then it's already there right now in terms of enterprise value. So I will make no return. But my bet is that's not going to be the case. My bet is that it's going to be kind of closer to maybe not as high as what cash flow would be valued at now, but closer to historical norms. And, and hopefully when it gets to that amount, 10 billion of revenue, 3 billion, then they, they found the guy who's going to build or the gal who's going to build the next 10 billion of revenue for them. And, and they've articulated that story to the market and Jeff and his team are, are able to kind of keep that story going. I'm sure there are similar stories out there in software. Just like it's a 100-year event for money creation, it's also a 100-year event in terms of, you hate this word, but this disruption. Part of what Twilio, I mean, Twilio has just launched their medical compliant product, HIPAA compliant product in February. Sometimes you just get lucky. To have that happen ahead of one of the biggest kind of medical disasters of the last, or the biggest of the last hundred years, you just right place, right time. Zoom, right place, right time. And so there, are, there will be winners as a result of this disaster. And, and they, these guys are one of them. So I think it's accelerated the path to 10 billion of revenue or whatever, wherever they end up. And, and they got that as well as they got a liquidity bump. So there, there's a dual benefit in the, in the short term. And it'll be taken back by the market if they can't prove that they can capitalize it or if, they can't, if, if the liquidity gets pulled. I, I agree with you. It has to be rational over time. It can be irrational in the short term. No, you're, you're 100% right. You're not going to get me uh, disagreeing with you uh, on that point. I think they are right place, right time. I think there's a lot of that going on. And I think a lot of these businesses are exceptionally well run. And we, we do joke about disruption and accelerate. I'm obviously a big fan of it. Like I, I, I love these tools. We're using them at like Superhuman, for example, Slack, et cetera. And we get how it works and it's, it's exciting. At the same time though, you, you do need to step back sometimes and be like, the last time an IPO in software opened up that much from where it priced was 2000. And it's like nobody even wants to consider. It's not like we're talking about like it used to be. We we would argue over what, whether ten times sales is crazy. It's not like the growth rates have gone absolutely insane. And it's not like cheap money hasn't bled into tons of competitors. And it's not like that whole concept that we got into and once upon a time in tech of what it's much easier to build a startup today with the technology and the way things are available out there and piece it together and get to that first hundred million of revenue. What's a lot harder is to build the Oracle or the IBM or the, or, or the Microsoft where you completely dominate. No, no, no. That, that's, that's definitely correct. I mean, that, and that's why the market is willing to make multiple bets because they know that the winner or the, 
bet is that the winner, it's sort of VC spray and pray, the winners will be so much bigger than the losers that they'll more than make up for it. And so that, I mean, that's clearly an approach that a lot of people are, a lot of days you see all of these stocks trading up and down together because I think there are, you know, there's structural, you know, issues with ETFs and all that that just buy all of them blindly. Uh, but I just think over the long term, you need to pick good management teams that are good stewards of capital that put it to work for you and earn you an above market return. And we've chosen to do that in stocks. People do it in other ways, but that will be the, the key in the long term. I think there's one thing to call you out here on though, right? When we were talking about Netflix earlier, you have kind of made a case of things going back to normal and that once there's a cure or let's call it uh, the vaccine, or even now you could argue that like we cycled through this second wave here in contrast to the rest of the world. You're not worried that that's a big, like, I mean, for people right now who have, and let's just consider that the people who are going to be listening to this. And I know, by the way, I saw you, you created a Captain Twilio account. I'm sure you're, you're going to get some uh, Twitter following. It's about time you got, you got involved there with that. But they're all going to be asking the same question. Are you not worried that that's just a, a gigantic sucking sound of liquidity out of the sector once it starts? I mean, like we've come off a little bit the last couple of days, and you could argue there's been a bit of a rotation trade on that. But it's, if you really believe we're going to the cinema and people are getting back on planes and are traveling, and we get to the point where like the four dudes selling Zoom software, I know uh, we, we had this conversation about enterprise sales, and I've talked to so many people in so many different tech companies about how they see things playing out in enterprise sales going forward. There are certain types of salespeople who are just, their bread and butter is being in person. They're charismatic. They have a physical presence. They take people out. They host them at lunch. You're kneecapping that person on a Zoom call. What makes that person close the deal better than anybody else? You've taken a lot of that away. I mean, I'm sure they can still do a lot of it talking-wise and playing that part on Zoom, but how long before that person is looking to show up? And I think you know, you and I discussed it and you pointed out prisoner's dilemma. like. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, the, 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 there are two beneficiaries of, of, of this kind of shutdown or slowdown. There's Campbell's Soup. Like I'm sitting home, I need, I'm building a bunker now and I need to buy stuff that I would never normally eat and I'm going to do it. And so they're going to report kind of outsized earnings. And you, you, know, you, had, you told me about your whole chicken wing thesis and, and all that. And that's kind of transitory. And then there's like a, wait, when I sit home, I realize that, you know, I had all of my customer support reps coming into a warehouse. And then when I sent them home, I was forced to switch to flex. And I'm realizing that I'm not getting less productivity. And so why the hell am I paying rent to some to my landlord? I'm going to stop that. So there's like revelations that happen as a result of, of this. And there, there are things that are kind of transitory. I put a lot of the push to software that helps with collaboration, communication. Those are revelations that companies that thought, you know, I'm, I don't have to be a tech company. This is in my bread and butter. I'm a construction company. I'm a this, I'm a that. They're, those were the last kind of bastion for sales reps on the software side. And now that they're getting those and those conversations, I don't think will stop. Because if this were a blizzard and so it was a weekend event, obviously it doesn't change anything. But if it lasts a year as it will or has, well, it hasn't lasted a full year yet, but it will. It'll be something where I think those things will take longer to undo and potentially just never undo. Why would I ever, after I had one, I visited my doctor digitally via 
I don't think it was Zoom and it wasn't Twilio. I don't know what it was, some app that they had. Why would I ever go there in person again? I'm not. And so I don't think that's transitory. Unless I have to have them you know, take my temperature or whatever, I'm not going to do that. And so I think there's a lot of interaction between service providers, companies, and their and consumer, or companies and other companies that just won't go back. And then there's stuff that will go back. Like, I again, I, I want to be in a movie theater and watch people and clap and laugh and, and all that and go to a concert. And, and th those, are, those are two different things because I get a benefit from that. There's no way I could have gone to the doctor digitally before. Maybe there was, but I just didn't know about it. And so I, I think that there, there's a lot of transitory beneficiaries that will get repriced after this kind of dream is over. And, and then there are those that won't. And, you know, on the opposite, there are guys that got beat up that will come back. You, we talked about cruises before. Do I think there will never be a cruise again? No. And so, again, I don't track these things. I know they were down a lot and they might have come back. But I think that piece, that'll, that'll come back. Because if, if you think about it, it's actually a controlled vacation. If you could test everyone before they get on it, and there, you know that there's no COVID on the boat, then no one's going to get it. And it's actually, you can run around. It's a pretty big, big space, whatever people are into that. And so it might actually become safer once people think it through. But the airlines, that's going to have a hard time because that's business travel. And I know there's prisoners dilemma and I pointed it out. And maybe I'm young and I want to get on a flight and go make that sales pitch that the older guy who had the account isn't willing to do because he doesn't want to risk his life. And I'll, I'll kind of eat that lunch. And so there are winner, going to be winners and losers. But I think that the, in the interim period, there are two types of beneficiaries. And I think Twilio is one that's going to be kind of a rep. Their customers, it was revealed to their customers how important it was for them to be able to talk to them, their clients, their, their own customers digitally. And I think there would be other ways, you know, I think team and major duty and there, there are a whole, there's a kind of a handful of other team meeting Atlassian, a handful of other kind of, companies whose products became even more important uh, as a result of this, and that's going to stick. I mean, is there, like, is there a giant liquidity sucking sound, though, that, that, that occurs like that, right, when that happens in the market? Because like, if you look at the market as a punch bowl, if your airline isn't a zero and your cruise line isn't a zero and your commercial re retailer who's shut down and has zero business isn't a zero, and they maintained X, Y, and Z equity value. And I gave everybody cash to stay in business. And the investors who took that are like, I'm just going to buy Amazon, Shopify, Twilio, Zoom, et cetera, because they're not only staying in business, they're taking market share big time. And that money flows in there. If I'm going to rebalance the punch bowl, which is occasionally occurring here, back to like, hey, there's a much more normalized activity. I mean, yes, Zoom is still dominant but I'm doing far less calls. Like we, we just started with earnings, right? And we were just talking, we started this with Netflix and a lot of this is about Netflix's quarter 2.5 million guide being not 5 million after they did 26 million sub ads in six months versus like, what was it last year, 10? And you're like, okay, pull forward. Let's talk about it. Zoom has given you a guide, essentially speaking, since we talked about it last time, which does assume some level of churn. Now, when you go back to where we were two months ago, every single person in software was like out with their, we hit this many concurrent users, 
300 million uh, streaming minutes. You don't see anyone coming out and be like, you know what, people uh, people been outside. We see it on the news and we see like COVIDiots and, and, and the criticism of the kids partying and, and all this. But like, I mean, all of us have wanted to get out some, right? And there's been that, that whole element of fatigue globally without question. Like there's a jailbreak mindset. And these companies aren't coming out and telling you, you know what, meeting minutes is like 50% off of where we were at the peak in, in April, or our signups have slowed to this pace, or we pulled so much forward. Is this going to be a theme in this earnings season, by the way? Like, is this something where it's going to be like, you know what, everyone's going to be taking a tempered view on guidance and we've been ballistic. So if you haven't bought value, if you haven't been value conscious, you're kind of exposed. Is that a case? I mean, I, I think it, 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 there'll be a differentiation. I, I think it, you're going to need to prove yourself. You're going to need to convince everyone that, of course, it was a pull forward. I mean, I, I, if, if you're a beneficiary, by definition, you are a beneficiary because you pulled forward. People that were going to take years to make a decision made it overnight because they had to. But if it's sustainable and, and you think that there's a, a further pipeline where you're just, again, you're getting from two to 10 more quickly as a result of this, then you're worth more. But yeah, there will be companies that pulled forward uh, or created demand out of nowhere that isn't sustainable. I, I think in the case of Zoom, obviously it's, it's, it looks really richly valued and, and, it, and, and in many cases it is. It also has some of the best margins and, and, and I know you're going to tell me that they're inflated because if you do your R&D in China, you, you have cheaper labor and, and it's not sustainable. And I actually agree with that. But if Zoom is willing to parlay the relationship they formed with companies and users over the last three months into replacing their phones and in the future, like, why do I even need but what if, you know, is Zoom going to go out and buy and, and, and license some 5G and, and just have their own kind of network and just become the phone company? I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's in the realm of possibility because they have developed that type of trust and that relationship. Verizon failed me during this crisis. They had nothing for me. And Apple failed me because FaceTime didn't really meet, didn't do anything. And, and so I, I replaced that trust with, and I put it into Zoom. Zoom can take that and mold it into a much larger market than they thought they had previously, or they can do nothing. And so the bet that investors must be making is that the management team is good enough to be able to parlay that into something much bigger than what was imagined as other software businesses or other companies have done over time. That, that's the bet. And, and if you can't convince the market that that's what you're going to do, they're going to give you some time to actually execute, but if you can't, they're going to discount you right away, and then it'll be a show-me stock, just like Twilio had to do with Flex. And I'm sure there'll be other missteps in the future. That's an excellent point. You're not going to get a disagreement from me on Zoom. It is the most superior product, and they were without question the at the right place at the right time. And it's essentially the sky is the limit in, in terms of where they can go from here. But yes, near term, I guess the point that, that I'm trying to make it is nobody's banging the drums on what's happened human behavior wise. And like, again, you're making an argument that there is a human behavior shift in the offing, which is on the flip side of an animal spirits trade. We, we're pricing in, in a lot of these a decade of robust growth. That's the point. And I mean, we've done it overnight. 
we have this macro type of dynamic that is so untested and unclear right now. But I do like to think that if these companies really wanted to hold your hands through what was going on, they'd be like, look, uh, yes, meeting minutes have come down to this from here, but we're seeing this kind of level of sustainability. And like, this is where you get in this element with Netflix here. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, I mean, like uh, uh, I, I listened to Pivot and I, I think you listened to Pivot too. And I think Daniel does. And uh, we're big fans. And like, you know, P- Professor G was out with his call that, you know, Netflix reports, it, they knocked the cover off the ball and the stock trades 600 immediately, over 600. And I mean, I'm listening to that. I'm like, come on, everyone's outside. And like, I, I'm barely watching right now. What's the guidance going to look like? And why would management of this of, of Netflix, as good as they are, even if they had confidence, I think they would be looking at this and be like, you know what? I mean, we've had two gangbuster quarters. If we're just flat next quarter, we're, we're content. Like if we don't churn off a few people who just were like, all right, I'm done with streaming, I'm back out. Yeah, no, I, I think, and, and yeah, we, I do like uh, Professor G. Scott Galloway says something once a year that is like, it just changes the rest of the way I look at everything. I mean, the guy is, is brilliant. It's, it's unfair to, for, to himself for him to like put stock price targets on things, I think, um, because he's a, sort of a macro thinker. But yeah, those guys are really smart. And yeah, I, I think the way that those Netflix guides is sort of, it, it just, he's a very long-term thinker. They don't, he does not, I don't think Reed cares that the stock is down 40 bucks today. Of course, obviously, we get that. That's, but, but that's my point. I'm saying is like we're, we're at this juncture here where is it a transition from work from home euphoria and streaming and e-commerce? They pushed back Prime Day of, of Amazon. Right? Like, again, we've gotten like, you know. Every day was Prime. Why would yeah, they every, exactly. Every day has been Prime Day. So like, why would they discount anything? But my point is I'm not shopping online the way I was shopping online two months ago. And I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm out and about more trying to do a, a lot more in terms of outdoor activity. Like you do not want to be indoors. And there's like, when you think about that as kind of a near term headwind where like anybody who's, we're, we're still in this window where it's difficult to make investment decisions, by the way, for businesses and running a business. What's my mix with commercial real estate? Like, I mean, I was seeing Nordstrom told their uh, landlords they're not paying rent till, till 2021, January. And like you got a lot of stuff going on on that side where it's like, who knows what they're doing with their commercial real estate and their office plans. And if that's the case, am I really right now, if I, if I knee jerk created my virtual office immediately and put myself in a position to business continuity wise, be fine. Am I also in a, in a spot right now where I'm not ready to commit to certain investment decisions till I have more visibility about what is my mix going forward? How many of my employees are doing tra- Like where am I rechanneling the savings from T&E? If I'm not on that New York to Chicago flight for, for a business call and staying at the, uh, the hotel for a day coming back you know, the next day, if that's off the table and that's a Zoom call, where is that savings going? I think that savings is making up the lost revenue <laughs> in a lot of cases. Uh, I think I think for for the for the interim, I, I think maybe when things come back, they'll actually be saving. But right now, obviously, a lot of companies are are bleeding. Like I, I don't think Nordstrom is taking that rent and doing anything with it other than trying to stay afloat. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of losers that are going to come out of this, and and I think not everything that's just up is going to stay up, and so and that creates opportunities for uh, for people like us. All right, thanks. All right. <laughs>
All right. Yeah, that was good stuff, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Toyo, for joining us today. And um... <laughs> all right. Thanks, that, that name is so sticking to you for forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how nicknames work. You don't always choose them, but sometimes they, you get them and then they stick. Whatever, dude. Your stock's up 6%. You should be happy. Yeah. yeah uh, Twitter, Twitter is up one cent right now. Oh, that's awesome. You should sell. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Take right. care. Good stuff, guys. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, disagreements, or anything else. We will be publishing at least one episode every other week for the summer before we ramp up in the fall and love to hear from you with ideas. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd also be really grateful. This has been a Short Man Studios production, and our theme song is Move On by SoCal. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.